If you take your pew Bible out and turn to page 1026, and we're going to be reading from Luke 1, verses 39 to 56. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening. Hello. <laughs> Hi there. So this evening, incidentally, wasn't that a great video that Chris played? I'm actually going to ask you for where that came from to send to my daughter in Australia. <clears throat> I think she needs to hear it. Um, this evening, we're going to look at a song that would become the definitive turning point in Judeo-Christian history. A young woman, still a teenager, sings out her profound confidence in the transforming power of God to turn the value system of the world upside down. And the song this young woman sings pours out of a confidence in the reality of God's word. She knew God's word and she believed in its truth. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my saviour for he's been mindful of the humble state of this servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy, holy is his name. This is, this is my song, says Mary. This is my story. But God 
It's actually God's story because God's called me to be part of his sovereign purposes. Actually, this isn't about me, she proclaims. This is about God's mercy. His extraordinary love for all mankind. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. So, brothers and sisters, here this evening, this is our song. Yours and mine. Men, women, children. This is not just the story of a young pregnant woman. This is a song, a proclamation for all generations, for all people, for all time. What a great way to start a sort of a little series of sermons leading up to Christmas. Let's pray. Father, Father, I pray that you will open our hearts to your word that you will open our hearts to what a mighty, big God you are. In Jesus' name, amen. It had been a very long wait, something over 400 years since the most recent prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, had spoken God's word. Often known as the silent years, this period of time between the written records of the Old and the New Testament were actually anything but silent. Wars, dispersals, diasporas, internal feuding between different Jewish traditions, and for Mary's generation, living in a time of particular oppression and brutality under the Roman authorities and ruled by Herod as governor of Judea. But always there had been those among the Israelites who trusted that God would act, that the promised Messiah would come. God's prophetic word may have been stilled for a season, but the faith of the Jewish people was not. Day in and day out, they declared their faith in God. And then one day, what happens? A messenger from God comes once again. The planned purpose from all time enters its time of fulfillment. And God chooses a teenager in a small village in Judea to declare himself. Would you have done that? Let's just backtrack a bit and see the passage in context. Firstly, I would invite us to set aside beautiful painted images of a young maiden dressed in blue. You know, the reality is, when Gabriel came unexpectedly without warning, Mary would have been as usual, working in the house or in the land, in her work clothes, perhaps having dug up some vegetables, scrubbed the floor, cooked something... And her response to Gabriel was wonderfully pragmatic, an absolute study in faith and common sense. I love it. How will this be? I am a virgin. Can't get more pragmatic than that. Good question, Mary. Note, she doesn't indulge in either pride or that kind of false humility. Oh, I couldn't possibly... Oh, no, no, why have you chosen me? Oh, there are much more holier people out there. 
You know, the sort of stuff that just draws attention to ourselves. But Gabriel's answer will have disturbed her. The Holy Spirit would come upon her or overshadow her. We know about the Holy Spirit. We've had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Mary had not. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament came at specific times for specific purposes. So what does Mary do? She focuses on something real and tangible. The angel had told her that her cousin Elizabeth, was way, who was way, way past childbearing age, was going to have a baby and was now six months pregnant. I must go and see her. I need to talk to someone. Do you know the journey from Nazareth to the hill country of Judea was approximately 100 miles, give or take a few It was a long and a tiring journey. So again, picture, do picture, not a beautifully dressed, saintly maiden, but a tired young woman who finally, after days of traveling, arrives at the door of her cousin. She's no doubt been pondering and praying on the journey, asking the Lord to give her more understanding of what on earth was going on. And as she approaches the homestead, she calls out, Elizabeth, cousin. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb leapt And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Blessed are you among men and blessed is the child you bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears? The baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises. And Mary said, now, whether it was an immediate response to Elizabeth's greeting or whether it came during the three months visit actually isn't entirely clear from scripture, although it comes sequentially. But what is clear is that when she sees her cousin, what pours out of Mary is a song of hope, a song of joy at God's faithfulness to his word, a song that declares things will never be the same again. And if we look at the language, it's a song not just of what will be, but what has been accomplished. Have you ever noticed that about the Magnificat? He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud. He has brought down rulers. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. And he has sent the rich empty away. He has helped his servant Israel. It's really interesting. The hope Mary declares is not the kind of, oh dear, I hope this will happen. It is rather a hope transformed by faith into absolute certainty, not simply of what God has done in the past to the people of Israel, but of all that Jesus' birth would mean for the world in the future, a prophetic fulfillment of what was yet to come. Now, 
getting that kind of language sorted, I, I suddenly thought of something today. Now, some of you here, I don't know if there are any of you here teachers or have been teachers of young children. They have a very particular way of talking about things that they want. <clears throat> so, imagine talking to a young child. Um, Jamie, what are you getting for Christmas? Uh, it's not, I'm getting a train at Christmas. I've, I've got a train for Christmas. I know I have. There is such certainty and confidence in the outcome of the promise of a train that it has already happened. Have you heard children talking like that? They've been promised something and they talk about it as if it's already happened. I've, 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 I've got a train for Christmas. I definitely have. Train's not even been wrapped up yet, but you know. <clears throat> Mary will have known the prophecies of old. She will have read the prophetic Psalms of David. And as she walked to Elizabeth, she may well have remembered Isaiah's words. This was in Isaiah seven fourteen. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Can you imagine Mary walking to the hill country, thinking about all the scriptures, pondering that particular verse and thinking, oh my goodness. And she believed it to be true. And when Elizabeth, her cousin, a much older woman, herself miraculously pregnant, a woman renowned for her faithfulness to God, says to her, Who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Words of such humility, such affirmation, such confirmation, the silence of 400 years breaks through with a prophetic song of such joy, such power, but actually over history, such provocation. (laughs) William Barclay speaks of the Magnificat as a song of moral, social, and economic revolution. Before being executed by the Nazis, Dietrich Bonhoeffer spoke these words in a sermon during Advent 1933. The Song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It is at once the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary whom we sometimes see in paintings. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. It is instead a hard, strong, inexorable song about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. In fact, the Magnificat was so unsettling for rulers and leaders that at least three times, just in this last century, governments and militaries have banned it. Did you know that? Can you imagine that? During the British rule of India, the Magnificat was prohibited from being sung in churches. In the 1980s, Guatemala's government decided Mary's words about God's love for the poor were too dangerous and revolutionary. 
they were inspiring the Guatemalan poor to believe that change was indeed possible. And as a result, the government banned the reciting of Mary's song in all public places. And similarly, in Argentina, following the so-called dirty war between 1976 and 1983, when so many children disappeared, a group of women known as the mothers of the Plaza Mayo put up posters of the Magnificat all around the central square. And the military junta banned any public display of Mary's song. I mean, it's quite interesting, isn't it? But we also need to be careful. It would be easy for the Magnificat to simply be hijacked as a piece of propaganda for the undervalued and the dispossessed, and thus reduce its gospel message to a form of social justice. We may not do that. We may not do that. This is a song that was sung by the woman carrying the Son of God, God made man in her womb. This is a song that was sung at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, a song to announce the fulfillment of age-old prophecies, a song heralding salvation's promise, a song that made John the Baptist leap for joy in his mother's womb, whether he realized it or not, his task to proclaim the way of the Lord had begun. This song announced the coming of Jesus, God with us here on earth. From now on, all generations would call Mary blessed because she had believed that the words spoken through the prophets were true. And she had yielded herself completely to God's will in her life. So what does that mean for us today? God's word is a living word. It does have relevance for us today. And I'd like to suggest three ways in which this song can give us pointers for life today. The first one is, and I'll just tell you the three points I'm going to make before I make them. How was Mary able to recognize the word of God when the angel spoke? It's the first one. How can, as we grow, as this church grows, this is what God's called us to, how can the Magnificat inform our welcome to those whom God will send us? And finally, this is our song. This is our story. We, too, can celebrate Christ in each of us, the hope of glory. So we refer to Mary's humility We often talk about her absolute confidence in God's word. But my question is, how did she get there? How did she become so confident in God's word? You know, people you know who really know the Bible and all that. Have you you ever said to them, how how have you ended up being so confident in God's word? How did it happen? Did, did, Did God just kind of suddenly give it to you just like that? Well, do you know what? I think the answer is no. It's about hard graft, actually. It's about doing the stuff. We're not told in detail, but we do know that she was betrothed, engaged to Joseph, and he was a direct descendant of David, and they would have shared the same trust in God. She would have followed all the times of prayer, the Bible reading, the teachings of the Old Testament. 
Her daily life was governed by God's word. She was utterly, utterly familiar with it. So when the Lord spoke to her through the angel Gabriel, she knew it as the word of God. Why? She recognized God's word. Furthermore, her prophetic song is actually made up largely of Old Testament phrases and promises hidden in her heart, passed down from one generation to another. She knew her Bible. She lived in daily obedience to the scriptures. Nothing dramatic, just the simple daily disciplines of scripture reading, fellowship with others, meeting to pray. And I'm sure at times wondering how the Messiah, the promises of the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob would ever, ever come to reality. Mary simply lived in hope and trust that the words of the prophets would one day be fulfilled. And I bet she never imagined in a million years that she would ask to be a part of that fulfillment. She simply, on a daily basis, allowed God's existing word to satisfy her. And for us, it's no different. I truly would encourage us that the more we study God's word, meditate on it, pray into it, the more we will be able to discern between God's ways and our ways, between his will and our will the more we'll find answers to how to respond to everyday questions. We also have the promise of Jesus that he would be with us by the Holy Spirit to remind us of all he said, to give us ongoing revelation and application. If we sit in his word, if we allow God's word to overshadow us as we immerse ourselves in it, we too will be filled with a new assurance of God's love for us and his purpose for us in our daily lives as we live out God's calling. I don't think it means we're going to suddenly start spouting the Bible at every street corner, some kind of bizarre Bible-quoting weirdo. I mean, not that they are, but, you know, can be. But... (laughs) But I do believe that as we immerse in God's word, we become wiser, we become more compassionate, we become clearer about how to live our lives. We understand more profoundly the extraordinary grace of the cross. When we see our friends for a chat and we share our daily lives, well, not just have friendship and meals and practical stuff, We'll have the word of God to share with one another, to sustain each other, to encourage each other, to comfort each other. There's a discipline in feeding our souls with God's word. What can I say? Let's just do it. Let's just get into the habit. Use a reading plan. I use a couple, an online U version. Do any of you use U version? You know, the online Bible, it's got a picture of a Bible on the front, obviously. Um, (laughs) It's really good. And then a Moravian reading plan I've been using for about 40 years. Just do it. So, briefly, second point. How, 
How can the Magnificat inform our welcome to those whom God will send to us? As I was preparing this sermon, I read the following words, and forgive me, I actually forget who wrote them or where I found them. It's a bit embarrassing, but I think it was somebody quite important. But anyway, I think they... (laughs) I rather like them, so here we go. The Magnificat is a revolutionary song of salvation whose political, economic, and social dimensions cannot um, be blunted. People in need in every society hear a blessing in this song. The battered woman, the single parent without resources, those without food on the table or even without a table, the homeless family, the young abandoned to their own devices, the old who are discarded, are all encompassed in the hope Mary proclaims. Mary's song speaks of a world that honours and values those that were disregarded, often simply because you're not like me, they're not like us. So what does this mean as we grow? It means this. Well, I think it means this. If we grow, as I believe God is calling us to, we shall rather wonderfully be called to stretch beyond our immediate friendship and social groups. We'll be given the opportunity to welcome those with whom we may have no natural point of contact. And yet those with whom we are bound because of the grace of the cross. Bound to us by the love of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, who came to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free. We are bound together by his love and his sacrifice. We shall become a church with an even greater love for the poor, the disaffected, the hungry, those on the edges of our life. But also, let's not get overbalanced here, but also with a compassion and understanding for the rich, the wealthy, who in some extraordinary way feel empty, for the seemingly successful men and women who are lost to the experience of real joy. Some of that will be a challenge. But when we think of growth, let's not just think about big in terms of numbers of people. More importantly, we need to think big in terms of God, the God that Mary proclaims. We have a great big God. I could actually burst into song here. What's that, what's that lovely song that the children sing? You know, our God is a great... Oh, I was going to burst into song. There we are. Our God is a great big God. Isn't he a great big God? who is holy and will purify us as we grow, who is merciful and whose extraordinary love extends to all who fear him. We have a wonderful song to sing, an extraordinary story of redemption through Jesus Christ to speak of, and finally, a challenge 
challenge to us all. This is our song because it is part of our Christian heritage. There can only be one incarnation. But because of that incarnation, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, because of the gift of salvation that has been given to all who can say of Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior, we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We, like Mary, by the power of the Holy Spirit, carry in us the life of Jesus. Do we live as those who carry within them the life of Christ? I know I don't, but I am seeking, as I'm sure you are, so to do. As we immerse ourselves in God's word, I think we'll get a bit closer to it. As we open our arms to all comers as we grow, I think we'll get a little bit closer to it. Let's just pray. Father, you know the hearts of each one of us. You know where each one of us is on this journey of faith. You know those among us who can declare Mary's song with full hearts and gratitude and understanding. And those of us who are thinking, oh goodness, I'm not sure about this. This is big. Father, come by your Holy Spirit and meet us, each one of us, individually, uniquely. And pour into us that assurance of your love as we come to you through Jesus and in his name. Amen.